Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to continue on in our study today. Uh, again, if you missed any of these, I encourage you to catch up online. Uh, I think I'm going to be taking a break. One more break next week because it is our Serve Week rally. And I feel like the Lord has given me a word uh, to, for our rally as before we go out. So I think I'm going to take a break next week. And then the following three weeks, we'll have three more weeks after that uh, to finish up Hebrews. I'm almost sure. Uh, but, you know, I'll just surprise you next week. You'll know once you get here. Amen. And so but I think we're going to focus on our Serve Week rally for next Sunday. All right. Uh, uh, so last week we looked at the power of Christ's blood. The 10th chapter of Hebrews emphasizes the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ in contrast with the imperfect sacrifices that were under the old covenant. And we've talked about a lot of this stuff. Some of this stuff uh, will be, he recapped, but I was talking to a brother after first service. It's not, I, I don't, I'm not spending as much time on some of the things we hit on already, but it's not that it's any least important. Obviously the writer kept repeating these things because it was important. How I many of y'all know the blood of Jesus is very important? Matter of fact, I think last week was maybe my favorite one I preached so far out of this series. And so the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the fact he's our high priest, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. All these things will be mentioned again uh, uh, today. They're very important. But again, because I've talked and preached through that in detail, some of the stuff uh, will go through a little bit quicker to point out uh, some major things. Uh, they're all major, but some of the things I want to talk about. So we'll look at what we receive from Christ's perfect sacrifice, which some of it's very similar. Obviously, the sacrifice in the blood, very close. Then we'll look at our call to persevere, a warning about judgment, and then encouragement uh, to have patient endurance. So let's start it off. Number one, we'll see that Christ's sacrifice takes away our sin and guilt. And again, similar to last week, we talked about Christ removing our sin, giving us a, a, a cleaning our, our guilty conscience. Uh, but, but this is where he starts off again, Hebrews 10. Let's read it straight from the text, verses 1 through 13. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually remind them of their sins year after year. Man, that must have been a tough time to be living in, right? Sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, that is writ as it is written about me in the scriptures. For Christ said... You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second in effect. Let me pause. I mentioned that, uh, and I don't know how big, Pastor Kelly, if it's still around, if it's still a big thing to do covenant. You know, is that still, do you still hear a lot of it? Not really. So for a while, there was a thing where the, the people talked about a dual covenant, where God still had the first covenant for the Jews and then the new covenant for Gentiles and for us. But this shows you if, you, if anybody ever brings that up and says, well, no, the Jews don't need to be saved. They still have the old covenant. This verse makes it clear. 
he canceled the first covenant to put the second one into effect. Amen? So just you can point to that. And, you know, according to our resident theologian, that's really not a big thing anymore. I know it was for a while. So we affectionately call Pastor Kelly our, our resident theologian. And so for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins, right? That's why Jesus' blood provided a way to take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand where he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Remember, sat down signified, not only is this work powerful and for all time, but it is finished. He sat down. He was completed. You remember in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was no furniture for the priest to sit. They were constantly standing up. But Jesus sat down at the place of honor, saying that it was completed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's awesome, living, true, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you for your blood. Thank you for your perfect sacrifice that was poured out for us for all time, once and for all. Lord, I'm so thankful. Thank, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing these truths to us through your word. Help me as I preach it, Holy Spirit, and help us all to receive it and the grace to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to come out the gate and say this. Sin is the biggest problem of humanity. Sin is the biggest problem in humanity. Yes, there are other issues and that we got to deal with and we can, we can help, you know, uh, to, 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 uh, better lives and our, and, and whatnot. But all the major issues with C, all across the depravity of man, uh, the perversion, uh, whether it's, it's hate, evil, violence, murder, racism, uh, uh all these things, greed, love, it's all rooted in sin. And the better we come out the gates and understand that, the better that, that we will be. See, that's why there's so many false religions and, 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 uh, and religions that, that don't give people hope because they don't deal with sin. They help you to become a better person. You may be reincarnated into hopefully like a bird or an eagle and not a roach, but that's, man, that's very hopeless, huh? Somebody recently was talking about that. Oh, they believe in reincarnation. I'm like, what if you come back as a bug? Like, that's not, that would be so hopeless. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I hope that, how you know you're going to be an eagle or something, right? Or whatever, like, but it doesn't, none of those things deal with sin. See, by nature, people are sinners. And by choice, we prove that our nature is sinful. It's been well said, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Y'all got that? Y'all understand that? See, the writer of Hebrews starts out this chapter again by saying that the old system of the law was just a dim shadow or preview of things to come. The sacrificial system was a type or a picture. We've been talking about that all through this. He makes the comparison. It's types and pictures of the work our Lord Jesus would accomplish on the cross and the good things that Christ produced through this new covenant, which again is the only covenant still standing. The new, that's why he even says the new and everlasting covenant. This one ain't going away, amen? This is the bread at the last supper or the last Passover. He said, this is the bread of the new and everlasting covenant. This is the one that's going to last for all eternity. Let's read Hebrews 10, 2 and 4 again. If we would have provided perfect cleansing, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. 
animal sacrifices could never completely deal with human guilt. See, God did promise forgiveness for believing worshipers back then, but this was just a judicial forgiveness and not the removal of guilt from people's heart. It was judicial forgiveness, meaning that they were forgiven for their sins so judgment wouldn't come upon them. But it wasn't dealing with a heart and a conscience clear of, of, of guilt and sin as we talked about last week. See, the nation of Israel's sins were covered, but they weren't cleansed. Nor did the people have God's inward witness of forgiveness and acceptance, which we'll see in a bit that we do. There was a desperate need for a better sacrifice because the blood of animals could not take it away. It could cover sin and postpone judgment, but it could never produce a once and for all redemption. Only the better sacrifice of the Son of God could do that. Amen? Verses 5 through 7, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with the burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as written about me in the scriptures. It was God who provided the sacrifice, not man. Y'all, when we stop and think this is really amazing that we sin, we broke God's laws, and yet God is the one who provided a way for us to be forgiven and to be set free. Truly, truly is amazing when you stop and think about it. Now, this what I just read again is a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, and it applies to Jesus Christ. The psalmist, as he wrote it, uh, it was a prophetic uh, unction about Jesus. The quotation makes it clear that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. The word sacrifice here refers to any animal sacrifices and offering, it mentions offerings a couple of times, covers the meal offering, the drink offerings, and then the burnt and sin offerings are mentioned and the trespass offering would be covered in the word sacrifice in those verses as well. So he hit on multiple the different offerings and sacrifices back then. He said those could not complete the work, only Jesus could. Each of these were a type and shadow to point to the sacrifice of Christ, again and reveal the aspect of his work. God gave his son and prepared a body for his son that could serve God and fulfill his will on the earth. Isn't Jesus our greatest example? He gave Jesus a body, fully God. He became fully man so he could live out God's will for his life on this earth. He does the same thing for us. He created us. We here. We have a body and we have a plan and a purpose to be on this planet. Amen. If God had just say, uh, didn't, didn't have a plan or a purpose for us, he would have just saved us and just zapped us up to heaven, right? But he didn't do that, right? He, he, we still down here today and we got a purpose and a plan to carry out according to his will. Amen? In verses 6 through 8, it says God was not pleased with the Old Testament sacrifices. Now, this does not suggest that the old sacrifices were wrong or that sincere worshipers received no benefit from obeying God's laws. It only means that God had no delight in sacrifices like these apart from obedience, the obedient hearts of worshipers. Let me remind you of this. No amount of sacrifices can substitute for obedience. No amount of sacrifice. Remember with the, the prophet Samuel told Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice, right? And, 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 you know, doing the Lord's will better than, than the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews 10, 10 for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Remember the word holy means to be set apart. As believers, we've been set apart by the offering of Christ's body once and for all. 
But we are not only set apart by Christ and for Christ, this chapter encourages us that we may be made perfect by Christ's perfect sacrifice. And that's number two. Christ's sacrifice produced perfect standing with God. Let's read verses 14 through 18. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testified that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he said, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Remember, being perfect, Made perfect means being in perfect standing with God. It's, it's the same thing as when it says we're the righteousness of God in Christ. It means that we are in right standing with him. Perfect means we're in perfect standing with him. But I love this. In verse 14 also says forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Not only is holy means set apart, but it means sanctified. And we're being made holy because we're continuing to be sanctified, being more like Christ as we live. Remember, sanctification is a lifelong process. Amen? How do you know personally that you're in perfect standing with God? How do you know? You know, I could tell you, you could read it, but sometimes you may not feel like it because of the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of us. He witnesses to us, and especially through his word. Look at Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. See, the witness of the Holy Spirit is based on the work of Christ and is given through the words of Scripture. That's how you know you're in perfect standing. You may not feel like it. Felicia said it in the first service during worship. You may not feel like it, but we can't live this life of faith based on our feelings. We don't always feel like it, but the Bible tells us if you're a born-again believer and you've put your faith and your trust in Christ, you're in perfect standing with him. The writer goes on to quote Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. The Old Testament worshiper could not say his conscience was clear of sin, but the new covenant believer can say that our sins have been forgiven and forgotten. Amen? He hits on that again, right? Our sins are not remembered no more, right? It doesn't mean that that uh, uh, he can't remember them, but he doesn't hold them uh, against us. He doesn't charge it to our account, so to speak. That account has been closed, right? He doesn't remember them anymore. You know, I read a, a quote from a Christian psychiatrist uh, whose work was very true to the word of God. Uh, and he said this, the trouble with psychiatry is that it only deals with symptoms, a psychiatrist can remove a patient's feelings of guilt, but he cannot remove the guilt. It's like a trucker loosening the fender of his truck so he won't hear the motor knock, right? It's like, well, the motor's still knocking. The fender's the one that's it's bumping to let you know, but there's something wrong. If this happens, a patient can end up feeling better but have two problems instead of one. If you deal with just the symptoms, it goes back to sin. Sin is the root of the guilt and all of that stuff. So if you're just trying to make yourself feel better, then, then, then th th you're not really getting down to the root. For example, like true repentance is I know that I've sinned and I know I've lived a life that's unpleasing to God. So I, I repent. I confess and say, Lord, I repent. I turn away and I turn to you. See, a lot of America and even some Christians don't have repentance. They're just remorseful when they get caught. And that's not true repentance. And then guess what? The guilt still lies. Okay, well, I feel sorry. I apologize, but I'm not truly repentant, right? 
And so that's why, like things like, again, and this is a Christian who, there's, we have Christian counselors here in the church and I do a great job, you know, based on the word of God. When a sinner trusts Christ, his sins are all forgiven and the guilt is gone and the matter is completely settled forever. And again, that's for true repentance because repentance means you can be forgiven when you repent and turn away from that sin and stop doing that and living that lifestyle, right? Number three, we are called to persevere. Let's read verses 19 19 through 25. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. I read that last week when we talked about the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You notice that? Not guilty hearts. Not a guilty conscience, with sincere conscience. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Whose return? Jesus' return, right. So see, last week we talked about how we have the access into the presence of God, which was the holy, the most holy place or the holy of holies, right? So because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his blood was poured out, we have an open invitation to boldly enter the presence of God. Everybody say boldly. Boldly. We can, the Bible tells us we can boldly come into his presence because of the sacrifice he made and the blood he poured out. Remember, the old covenant high priest could only visit the Holy of Holies once a year. We're invited to dwell in the presence of God every moment of every day. What a tremendous blessing and privilege this is. Amen. You know, my son was here at the first service and he was sitting here and, and he totally agreed with this. You know, I, my son moved out uh, of our house and he lives in a little house in our backyard that we built for my mom. And, and, you know, so he doesn't live in our home for over a year now, but because he's our son, he just boldly walks up in our house and he boldly opens the refrigerator and grabs some milk when he wants. And if we got food, he boldly goes and fixes him a plate. Why? Because he's my son. Amen. You're, we're sons and daughters of the most high God. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We can boldly go up into the presence of God. Amen. We can boldly spend time with him, make our requests for him, love on him and worship him. Amen. I asked him after two, I said, I hope you don't mind. He's like, oh no, man, it was funny. I was laughing the whole time. Cause like, it's true. It's true. You know, so, um, because we have this great privilege and access into God's presence, we're called to persevere in three different ways. The scripture says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. And I want to read it out of the, the Legacy Standard Bible, uh, Hebrews 10, 21 and 25, because I like the way it says it here, and it's very, very accurate. It's been Pastor Kelly's favorite uh, translation lately. And since we have a great a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, that's number one, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast is number two, means hold tightly, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, that's number three, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
And all the more as you see the day, and again, the day drawing near is the day of his return, the day of the Lord drawing near. So let's look at these three things. 22, verse 22 says, let us draw near. The Old Testament priests had various washings and had to apply the blood on the day of atonement. And, and during their regular ministry, as I showed you last week, the labor, they had to dip their hands and wash before going into the holy place. Well, it's, it's true for us in a sense too. We need to prepare ourselves as we fellowship with God. We can go in with clear conscience and heart and, and purified. But I think one of the greatest ways we prepare ourselves to go into God's presence is that we approach him with reverence. You know, one of the things about the Old Testament also, although these things were just shadows and force, uh, you know, just foretelling pictures and types, one of the things that the Old Testament priests, they had, they had reverence. They made sure that they went in there and they reverenced Almighty God. I think that's one thing that we can work on and we can continue to live is in a reverence for the Lord. Reverence as we worship. Reverence as we pray, as we talk about Him, as, as we read the Word, right? As I prayed, I prayed over you again this morning. I pray this just about daily over me, my family, over you. Is the sevenfold Spirit of God found in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah. And is the Spirit of might, the Spirit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and counsel. And the last one is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is a reverence of the Lord. And when I pray through that, I always pray, Lord, help us to walk in a fresh fear of the Lord. Every day that we have a reverence for God. Amen. We can come boldly, but I believe we need to come reverently as well. Amen. Again, Christ's blood makes this possible. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast or hold tightly. See, the readers of these epistle, of this epistle was being tempted to forsake their confession of Jesus and go back to Old Testament worship. The writer did not exhort them to hold on to the salvation because their security was in Christ and not in themselves. Rather, he invited them to hold fast to their confession of hope. I showed you in the study of Hebrews that this whole, uh, there's an emphasis on the glorious hope of the believer. And we see it at the end of here. What is we looking forward to? The day of him coming back, right? The day of him returning is drawing near. That's the great hope. I don't know if you've noticed, we can't put our hope in people. Because you remember it said that he's faithful to keep his promises. How many of you know people that made you promises and broke them? People are going to break their promises. I'm sorry to tell you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to fall short. We can't put our hope in politicians. We can't even put our hope in the weatherman. He's wrong half the, half the time too, right? You can't put your hope in really any person except the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saying, hey, hold fast to your profession of hope. When a believer has their hope fixed on Jesus and relies on the faithfulness of God, he will never waver. Instead, he, he won't be looking back. He'll be looking forward like the Jews kept looking back to the temple. You remember what's there? We should be look, looking ahead of the coming of our Lord. There he is. He's like, I ain't looking ahead to no preaching on the iPad, huh, Pastor Kelly? So verses 24 and 25, let us consider one another. See, fellowship with God must never become selfish. Okay, only a couple of y'all got that. Fellowship with God should never become selfish. We must always fellowship with other believers in the local church as well. Not only here, and I mean, that's why we've seen it. People are loving it. The summer nights have been a great success. The Thrive Nights in Man Cave, and we're going to keep those going once a month. Actually, first Wednesday of every month, uh, starting in September, because we have Serve Week the first week of August. But the, in, starting in September, first week every month, Thrive Night here in the, the main auditorium, the guys in our, our Man Cave room over there. And, and not only with us in life groups in here, but, you know, we were honored 
uh, Thursday night, Cassie and I went up to uh, Arkansas, Sharon in Arkansas. I was asked to preach. The, actually, the organization that the pastors here, that we're all licensed under the Full Gospel Association. And, and the leader, the bishop of the organization asked me to go speak for their, their yearly meeting. And, and it was just a, a, a gathering, a smaller gathering of a group of brothers and sisters. They still sang hymns. We had hymnals we were singing from. Amen. Rural Arkansas. But guess what? They're our brothers and sisters. And we enjoyed fellowshipping with them. I was trying our best to keep up with the hymns and whatnot. And I try to catch it, catch, you know, uh, it was different. I mean, like, you know, even they were like, anybody has a testimony? Anybody has something they want to sing? Even they called me up. All right, brother, it's time for you to come up. I was going up because people would come up to sing. And they were like, does your wife sing? Does she have a song? I'm like, I don't know, baby. You got a song? And she's like, uh-uh, nah, I'm good. I ain't got no song. You know, so, and, uh, but, but listen, my point is, you know what? They, they do worship different than we do worship, but it's still our brothers and sisters. They preach from a different translation I do, but they, they still preach the word of God, right? It's our brother. And we were in Mexico last month. We were in a, a worship service midweek. I, I got to preach it. We're worshiping with brothers and sisters that don't look like us or sound like us. Couldn't really understand one song they sang, Waymakers. We could, we, Waymaker, we could understand in Spanish. But my point is, they're in Costa Rica this morning. We should stay in fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God should never be selfish. People say that all the time. Oh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But you got to go to church to be obedient. I'm going to just leave that with you right there. You say, oh, I could still go to heaven if I, if I don't go to church. Yeah, you can. But you'll be disobedient while you're doing it all the way to heaven. You'll be disobedient. Because the Bible says not to forsake fellowshipping together. Apparently, some of these believers were wavering and had stopped fellowshipping with other believers. And listen, this is the focus. I love this. It's interesting that the emphasis here is not on what the believer gets from the assembly, whether it's what he contributes to the assembly. So when people say, oh yeah, I don't go to church no more. I just wasn't getting fed. I wasn't doing this. And well, the emphasis here is not even about what you get. It's what you can give. And I know you're here. So you're like, Brandon, you're preaching to the choir here, brother. We're here. Stop. I get it. But I just want to encourage you, you know, and others, if you ever think that, oh, well, no, it's a command and it's not about what we get. It's what we give. Right? Look what it says, Hebrews 10.24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So that's the, the motivation as we come together. Yes, we worship and pray and get in the word together and do life together. Life groups, absolutely. But here the context is don't neglect or forsake assembling because you're, you're stirring one another to do good works. What you can give, what you can contribute. And we have tried to thought of, we've tried to think of ways of trying to motivate you to acts of love and good works. Again, through Serve Week, Pastor Kelly, Pastor Rob, Pastor Dixie, been working hard. We got projects. I just want to encourage you, if you have not signed up again, this is a great week. We fellowship together. And I see that when people go on mission trips, when people serve together, I see some of the strongest relationships form when people are serving together. And it's true, relationships are formed through life group and man cave and all that. But whenever people go on a trip together or serve together, there's some, there's a strong bond that forms. Go figure that. When we do something the Bible tells us to do, it works out well, huh? Go figure that. Wow. Okay, I'm off of that. Our strong motivation for faithfulness and fellowship is also, again, the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the only other place the word translated assembling in verse 25, it, it, only other place in the New Testament this Greek word is used is found in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 where it's actually translated gathering and it also deals with the coming of Christ. Isn't that interesting? 
So the motivation to gather is, is we're motivated by the coming of our Lord again and also to serve one another. The, the three great Christian values are evident here in Hebrews 10, 24, uh, 22 through 24. Faith, hope, and love. We see them all here. And they are the fruit of our fellowship with the Lord and each other. Amen? Not only is the Lord coming, but number four, judgment is coming too. I knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens there. Hebrews 10, 26 and 31. Dear friends, if we deliberately, now remember this, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses or who refused Old Testament to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. That's some pretty strong, straightforward language there. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I feel like we need to pray again. This is the fourth of five exhortations or warnings that are found in Hebrews. And it is written initially to the believers and followers in sequence with the other exhortations. Let's look at these. The believer who begins to drift from the word, Hebrews chapter 2 we talked about, will soon begin to adopt the word, Hebrews chapter 3. Soon he will become dull toward the word, Hebrews 5, and become lazy in his spiritual life. Those are the, the first three. And this will result in what's the warning here is despising the word of God, which is the theme of this exhortation. Now he says, if you continually, deliberately go on sinning, the evidence is of willful, deliberate, and continuous sin. It's knowing what the Bible says, and you decide to, to do something else anyway. Or if the Bible says not to do this, whether it's lying, cheating, sexual immorality, you list it, and you say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't think it applies to me. I'm going to do it. Or, you know what, uh, you know, culture, it, it's, uh, it's not as relevant for culture now. And you start taking the word of God and twisting it and trying to, uh, uh, to work it into your own life or to delete it from your life is probably more accurate. It says here, if there's willful, deliberate, continuous sin. The exhortation is not just dealing with one particular act of sin. We all stumble. We all mess up but with an attitude that leads to repeated disobedience. Remember the sacrifices where, where, where wanted to, God wanted the sacrifices out of a heart of obedience. And in this case, this is deliberate disobedience. Under the old covenant, there was no sacrifices for deliberate, I'm sorry, deliberate and willful sins, presumptuous sinners who despised Moses' laws and broke it were executed, period. Now, what I just said, I said last week that this is the writer using the argument from lesser to greater. Remember last week? He said, if the blood of bulls and goats could provide some kind of purification, how much more would the blood of Jesus cleanse us from our sins and a guilty conscience? He's doing the same thing here. He's saying, if those who refuse to obey Moses' law 
were killed for their sins, how much more for those who refused today? Let's read it again, verses 28 and 29. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled. Listen to this, y'all. Listen to the language here. When we sin deliberately against God's word and we try to twist it and make it fit our lifestyle, it says we're trampling the Son of God and treat the blood of the covenant which made us holy as it was common and unholy. Talk about the total opposite of reverent, right? And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. I think that's why there's judgment coming. It's because the very one who's trying to give us mercy, we reject. The very Holy Spirit who's bringing us the truth of the gospel of God's mercy, we're saying, nah, we're good, we don't need that, I'm a good person, I'll be fine. Right? And that's, that's what's going on. So if the Old Testament punishment for rejecting Moses was death, how much more for those rejecting Christ? Now, I, this is written to believers because he says, dear friends, the brothers and sisters, right? But I do believe it's non-believers as well. I think we have both sitting in here and watching today because some rejected the law of Moses altogether in the Old Testament. So this is written to the church, but it also replies to someone who rejected the gospel altogether or maybe was a believer and throughout knew the truth, knows the truth, and rejects them by their lifestyle, by what they do and how they try to justify their sin in their own mind. The worst thing that could happen in this earthly life, think about it. What do most people fear? Most people fear on this life is that if they would get killed, if they would die, if their loved one would die, right? So if they, it said, if, if they died in the Old Testament, how much more if we reject Christ in the New Testament, this has to be talking about eternal consequences. I brought my own amen for this point today, so it's good. That's what it's talking about. There's no reason to water this down. This is what the scripture is saying. You may say, man, this is harsh or whatever. Listen, I, I, like, man, that's, you know, I don't feel the love when you preach. Well, guess what? I do love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I told the first service, this might be your first time here, first time in a long time, and you may not come back, and that's okay. At least you heard the truth while you was here. Amen? I love you enough. I'm telling you this because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Because I don't want all of these things coming upon you or anybody else. Verse 29 says that this kind of attitude, I just mentioned it, tramples the blood of Christ, right? See, those who reject the Holy Spirit's prompting and mercy deny the validity of the gospel and the superiority of Christ and his saving words. Verses 30 and 31, for we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also says the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These verses show the dreadful circumstances of those who have rejected Christ and his word. And once God moves to judging a person, no one can rescue him from God's hand. But remember, the Holy Spirit is offering mercy. And people are rejecting that mercy. Don't leave here thinking like, oh man, I sinned too many times, so, you know, God, I'm going to fall into. No, this is people that are living a lifestyle of willful, deliberate sin and are rejecting Christ totally. Amen? So I don't want you to leave here and get it twisted. We shouldn't water down these words. Again, I mentioned that just now. The major theme of Hebrews is God has spoken. How are you going to respond to his word? What should a believer do if he's drifted away uh, into spiritual doubt, dullness, and deliberately starts despising God's word? Well, if you're getting convicted right now, it's not too late. 
You can repent of your sin and you can turn back to God and ask him for mercy. Ask him to forgive you. See, because there's no sacrifice, no other sacrifice for sin, but the sacrifice Jesus made is sufficient for all sins. See, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of, of God's judgment, as the Bible says, but it's a wonderful thing to fall into his hands of forgiveness and restoration. Amen. It's the same God, right? People are like, oh, yeah, God's all loving. God is all loving. He loved the word he sent his son, but he's also just. They're like, oh, brother, you talking about the God of the Old Testament? No, the Bible says in the Gospels, Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. It's both. Like I like how one preacher said, the good news is God is here. The bad news is God is here. It just depends on what side of the line you're standing on. Amen? I think that summarizes it the best. The writer of Hebrews ends this chapter with an encouragement to remain faithful and patiently endure through his trials. By the way, that word that's actually used, it's exhortation. That's actually an encouragement. That point is I'm encouraging you to not reject Christ. I'm encouraging you to live a life that lines up with the Bible. Listen to me, church. Don't justify your sin. Don't justify it. Don't, don't, don't try to, when, you, when the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, don't justify it. Don't say, I'm going to just slide in because I'm a good person. I'm going to slide in because you, Pastor, you know how much money I gave to this church? Well, that's great. And I appreciate all that. That's not going to get you in heaven, though. You can't give enough to get to heaven. I'm, I'm telling you this. This is an encouragement not to sin, to live a life of holiness and purity and righteousness before God and to live according to the word of God. Amen? So that is an encouragement. The fifth one is also an encouragement. Number five and the final point for today is we are encouraged to have patient endurance. Hebrews 10, 32 and 39. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when you owed, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you. That will last forever. That's, again, there's that hope, right? He's encouraging them. Like, even though you get everything taken from you, there's that hope. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the reward it brings you. Y'all, if we stop in the midst of our trials and just think of the heavenly rewards we have, man, I tell you what, it would get us through a lot and get through it all, right? But listen to what it says. Next verse. Patient endurance is what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will, right? He's talking to believers, so you'll continue to do his will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Amen. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. He goes back to that again. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. Again, people turn away to their own destruction. We are th the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The writer of Hebrews encouraged the recipients of this letter that they were willing to suffer reproach and persecution. And when they were not being persecuted themselves, they courageously identified with other believers who were in danger. At that time, they had great confidence and hope. But now, again, obviously, as he's encouraging them, they were in danger of casting away that confidence. The secret of victory was their faith and their patience. And remember, patience is not something we can strum up. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So patient endurance comes from connecting to the vine and having the fruits of the Spirit operating in your life. 
We have met this combination before, Hebrews 6, 12, and 15, and it's where the writer introduced the text around which Hebrews is written. You remember Hebrews 10, 38 says, the just or righteous shall live by faith. This is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, 4, he's quoting, and it's also written in Romans 1, 17 and Galatians 3, 11. Romans emphasizes the just, Galatians deal with shall live, and Hebrews here sinners on faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, we're not just saved from sin by our faith. We must also live in faith. And this will be the themes of chapters 11 through 13 as we close it out week after next. The believer who lives by faith will go on to glory. Amen? But the believer who lives by sight, and by sight means by their own feelings, their flesh, can turn away from the Lord to their own destruction, as it says in verse 39. He goes to encourage them, but he turns back again. Those who turn away. He takes no pleasure in those who turn away to their own destruction. Let me just remind you, God doesn't send anybody to hell. The Bible makes it clear people turn away to their own destruction. I say it all the time. If you end up in hell, you have to step over Jesus to get there. He's made every provision for you to spend eternity with him. But we make, he makes it clear, people that reject the Lord, it's going to be clear. That Greek word destruction is used about 20 times in the New Testament, and it's translated by different words. Perish in, in Acts 8, die in Acts 25, destruction in Romans 9, waste in Matthew 28. These are all the same Greek words that's translated. The word also can mean eternal judgment, as we talked about, but not in every instance. See, to walk by faith means to obey God's word fully, by the way. Amen? Partial obedience is disobedience. I'm going to just leave that one with you too. Partial obedience is disobedience. Walk by faith means obey God's word and live for Jesus. The author ends this section of the letter with a statement of confidence for his readers. And I'm believing that for you in here. I'm hoping that everybody here that is a born-again believer, you're going to remain faithful. Remember, this is the fourth of five warnings to remain faithful, not to drift away, not to fall away, not to despise the word. And I believe that's a lot of you in here and watching are the same way. We can be confident as I close. I'm closing up here. We can be confident as we walk by faith that the Lord Jesus, our great higher priest, will guide us by his Holy Spirit every step of the way. Now, as I used, as I, I read those scriptures, and I'm, I'm going straight through Hebrews, if you can't tell, if you've been with us, I ain't jumping around. I'm going through the whole Bible, I mean the whole uh, book of the Bible, Hebrews. And when I use those words today, like God's judgment and the raging fire that consumes his enemies, or how much worse the punishment will be. Or that it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When I use those words and I read those words, those don't concern me personally. Those words don't bother me for my life. But I'm concerned for other people when I read that. Because I understand that, that not everybody has accepted and surrendered to Christ and are living according to his word. I'm concerned for other people. What about you? Do those words concern, worry, or even scare you? If they do, I believe it means you're not right with the Lord. I believe it means you're not born again. Because I could read those words all day long and be like, man, it makes me, prompts me to want to preach the truth of the gospel and witness to people. Why? Because I'm a pastor? No, because I'm in perfect standing with Christ. Amen. It's because I've accepted, I've surrendered, I've been cleansing my sins. And even though I'm not perfect, I'm in perfect standing with him. 
Let me read one more verse and then we're going to pray. I read this after I finished preparing this message. I read this, these verses in my daily reading the other day and I knew I needed to put it into close up and we'll pray. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says, And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Here it is again. He's talking about the second coming. Apostle Paul is writing this, echoing the words of the, the writer of, of Hebrews. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this is not just a, a, a struggle of sin. Those who refuse to obey the good news of Jesus. They will be punished, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. If you think that hell is not real or that eternal damnation is not real, what do you do with that verse right there? says they will be punished with eternal destruction, eternal consequences, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you who believe what we told you about him. Have you believed what I've told you today or what you've heard? See, because again, that's the bad news. The bad news is those that refuse and reject Christ or that was once serving Christ and deliberately turn away, reject, despise, disdain, trample the blood of Jesus under their feet. The bad news is there will be eternal destruction and eternal separation. But there's good news. That God loved you and I so much that he sent his only son. That whoever would believe in him, that word believe means to trust, would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And even if you watch it online, if you say, Brandon, man, I don't know. Those, some of those words did, did strike some concern or worry in me. That if today was my last day here on this planet, I don't know. Would, I, would you face eternal destruction and punishment and be eternally separated from the Lord? Or are you confident you're going to live in eternity with Christ? Again, I'm confident, church, but it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. What we've been talking about, his blood and his sacrifice for you and I. If you say, man, I'm a little worried, I'm concerned, Brandon, I'm not sure where I would spend my eternity. And after hearing those words, I want to make sure I'm right with the Lord. And you're ready to surrender your life to Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand. If that's you today, say, that's me. That's me. Ma'am, I see your hand. Anybody else? That's me. That's me over here, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Right here. Thank you, Lord. Hands going up. Anybody else? Even if you're watching online, I can't see you. But I just encourage you, lift your hands and surrender to the Lord. The Bible says we must repent and turn to God and surrender and ask him to forgive us. And he will faithfully forgive us. Can we all pray together? Even as a family, those that raise their hand as a family. Or maybe he was once also serving the Lord. And this was written to believers, remember. But you've, you've turned away, maybe rejected the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's standard of holiness and purity and righteousness in his word. And you say, Brandon, that's me. I need to resurrender my life. Come on, if that's you, slip up your hand. Say, man, I, I, I've I veered away from the truth of the word, and I need to come back today. If that's you, just slip up your hand as well. Come on, let's all pray together in faith. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Lord, I know that I've sinned, and I repent of my sin. I surrender to you. I give you my life. I give you all. 
I trust you today, Jesus. Would you help me to live a life that glorifies you and help me, Holy Spirit, to do your will. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, can we rejoice with these and celebrate this morning? There's a connection card in the chair in front of you. Fill out that connection card. Bring it to the info center. We got a Bible. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. If I've never met you, you're just giving your life to Christ, come talk to me. Uh, again, I love you enough to tell you the truth, and this is the truth of the Word of God. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let me pray over you as you go. And come on, I just want to encourage you again. I just felt strong in this service. I didn't stop it. I just keep feeling, don't justify your sin. Amen. Live a life according to God's word and his standard. We're going to miss it, yes. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble, right? That's part of it. But live a life that's pleasing to God, that glorifies God. This is the word of God, and it will always be the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, right? He says, my word, the, the heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen? Come on, can we ask the Lord to help us? Lord, we just thank you for your sacrifice and for the blood that was pouring out. Maybe you feel like you're in the trial of your life and you need endurance right now. If that's you, you want somebody to pray for you through patient endurance, why don't you come down to the altar and get the pastors and the, the, the altar team to come down. If you say, Brandon, I'm in a trial right now. Man, I need that patient endurance. I, I want somebody to stand with me so I can persevere and endure through the trials I'm going through right now. Why don't you slip out of your, out of your seat right now and come on down as we close out in prayer. Father, I pray for those today. As Lord God, they're in here today and maybe struggling, maybe going through a trial. I just ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would help them to persevere. Help us to all persevere through, Lord God, everything. That we would hold tightly, hold fast, draw near to you. And that we would, Lord God, uh, consider one another to stir each other up, to, to love in good works. That we would see what we can contribute to the body of Christ, to our community as we serve. Lord, I just thank you for that. May your blessing, grace, peace, power, and provision be upon these as they go today, may you bless them, Lord, in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. There's still more people coming down to the altar. You can make your way down here. If not, God bless you. We love you. Have a great day. If you need prayer for anything else at all, we'll pray for you as well. See you soon. God bless you. Have a great week.